It's St. Patrick's Day, and you're lucky, this is your luck, to have an Irish guy speaking to you. That's just how it is, because I know how to pick up on little clues. See, I got some clues this week. You know, we've been, I've been trying to encourage this movie thing, just with the balm of 17, Psalm 1722, Merriment Makes a good like a medicine, because I've noticed we need something. It has been a long winter. It's not the first time we've done this. I've tried to schedule some things in previous years also. This is just very specific in how we're going about it, right? I wanted the movie just to bring us together to enjoy one another's company. There's a lot of us don't really know each other in this church, and I would love for us to just have a chance to just connect and, hey, who is this person that, uh, that's here all the time, but, uh, but I don't know them. So it was just a fun thing for us as, as God's family to be together so we can do life together, be a little bit more aware of one another. But as time has gone on, this last week, I realized we need this movie. I mean, we need it. So I was, we had a group of pastors here. I invited them to come. I meet with them once a month, uh, free church pastors. And uh, normally we meet in a restaurant in Grand Forks, but I asked them to come. And we met here this past week. And... Before they'd even gotten here, I was receiving some chiding about how long I preach. And uh, that maybe, you know, it's just a little bit longer than is necessary. Now, if, if your fellow pastors are coming, wouldn't you expect encouragement? Yeah, you'd expect encouragement from these guys. Well, I didn't get it. I got piled on by one and then another and then another. So it's like, okay, I get the point. So you're lucky being St. Patrick's Day. And I picked up on this that we're going to get done earlier today. To which this guy is saying, no, it'll never happen. And I'm going to prove to you that it will happen because it's St. Patrick's Day and all the magic and all of that. So you would think I'd get some encouragement. Didn't get encouragement. All right. Then Friday, Carol happens to be in the office working or doing something with the... Uh, with the bulletins, right? And uh, she sees what I'm going to be speaking on. She looks at that verse, and she says, she said, Gary, it's intriguing to me. Gary, how is it that you select your verses that we're going to cover? And I then had a nice discussion with her about that. Wrong! She looks at what's there, and she says, How do you choose these verses? And it's like, oh, okay. Well, last week, I chose about the verse out of Acts because, one, I wanted to expose people to to some secondary characters they might not know about in the Bible. I wanted us to see a delightful backstory to how we ultimately got the book of Mark, something that was significant. I wanted us to gain encouragement about being encouragers. And all of that through that one particular verse. And so I just wanted to be encouraged by Barnabas. I said, the son of encouragement. Then I said, well, why didn't you talk about Barnabas then? I said, but the verse says, now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. He's the subject of the verse. Of course, we talked about Barnabas and his role in all of this. So 
in order to clarify any of you who are sitting there like Carol, sitting in the back going, oh, here he goes off on one of his ridiculous verses, let me tell you what we're getting at today. At the outset of this study, I assumed I'd be doing Romans 3.26, which is, has very personal and real significance to me. I could take you to the place where I first understood it. It was an eye-opener to me, an understanding of the gospel. And I just assumed, when we get to Romans, I already got that one pegged. But as we got closer, I wasn't having a sense of peace about that, that that's where we need to be. I sense we maybe need to go elsewhere. And so where we are today... I think is both theologically significant and practically applicable. But before being absolutely sure this is where I needed to be, I thought, hey, I got pastors coming here. I got fellow pastors. I'm going to throw it out to them. So I said, hey, guys, if you had one verse to preach on out of the book of Romans, what would you preach on? They all had something to say because Romans is so rich, so significant. All right. They all had something to say. And I asked them why they would do it. And none of it steered me in another direction. And the reality is, you can't preach another man's sermon. I can't. I cannot. It's got to come between my time with the Lord and the Word, and that's where it's got to come from. But I thought I'd just open it up in case God brought something and said, oh, man, that is really great. We've got to do that. So I came back to the verse that we have for us today. But that's how we got there. All right? What I want you to be aware of is the theological significance and practical application. That's why this verse comes to my mind. And the verse that we have, as you can read from the little card, there is, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. I think that's a magnificent verse. It's got magnificent insight to it. Now, in order to understand the verse, you need to know the background. I'm going to give you a little bit of background out of chapter 5. Give you a little bit more background on chapter 6, and then we'll come back to the verse. Chapter 5, Paul is in his discussion. Romans is this magnificent discussion of the gospel. And in chapter 5, he goes on, and in fact, we sang about it, about uh, something about mercy is more. Okay? Wow, that was an awesome song, all right? And he, in chapter 5, goes on to describe how, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, God's grace abounds beyond the sin that we commit. It is completely sufficient and able to cover the penalty of our sin. And that chapter finishes with this magnificent statement, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, thus the song this morning, so that as sin reigned to death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Magnificent that God's grace is so effective and so sufficient. Now, Paul knew that putting something out there that speaks of how overwhelmingly sufficient grace is, he knew some questions are going to be raised. Chapter 6, he's answering the questions that he knows are naturally going to be raised. Because he begins chapter 6, verse 1, with this. What shall we say then, in light of how magnificent grace is, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He understands that knowing the significance and the, the, uh, the abundance of grace is going to lead the natural man to ask this question. Why don't we then, if we're sin abound, grace much more abounded, why don't we use grace as a means to gain more abundance of grace by sinning more? 
Hey, if sinning produces more grace, I'll just sin some more and more grace will come my way. And he answers that discussion through verse 14 by saying, you're missing the point. (laughs) The grace that abounded towards us was to get us out of that garbage, that life, that death. It was to deliver us from that, not to keep us swirling in it. Because we need to be withdrawn from it. So he says, you're you're missing the point. Then he gets to Romans chapter 6, verse 15. He asks another question. He says this in 6.15. What then? Shall we sin? You notice the common uh, issue on each of these. Hey, if grace is so abundant, I could just keep sinning, can't I? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not, he says. And he then goes on to describe why that doesn't make any sense also. And here, it's wrestling with this question. Using grace as an excuse to sin is thinking we get the best of both worlds. Right? We get the best of both worlds. We get to go on living in our sin, doing the things we want to do. Just, hey, guess what? I got a a free reign here. I got a a get-out-of-jail card here. So I can do what I want. I get the best of this life. And then when I'm done, because grace is so abundant, I will just... Walk right into heaven and I'll be fine. And I'll get the best of heaven. So I get the best of both worlds. Now that is a legitimate question to come from his whole discussion of how abundant grace is. But clearly, he's saying, that's not a good place to be. And here's what it comes down to. We think, hey, I walk in sin. I get to do what I want. I get the best of that world. I come over here. I get, uh, I'm saved. I walk into heaven. I get the best of this world. Everything's good. Here's the breakdown. There is no best on this side of the ledger. There's nothing good over here. There's nothing of value over here. We think we're going to get the best of both worlds. What we need to come to grips with, there's no best in this world. It's all death. It's all garbage. It's all trashing us. And having brought both of those discussions to bear, he then brings us to this summary statement of chapter 6. And I'm going to read it now in its context. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, it always produces death. What, what good came from that? You're ashamed of the stuff that you were, that you were doing before. Why, why do you want to go back to that? Romans 8, 6 offers us a corollary. I know you're wondering, what's a corollary? Okay, well, we're going back to St. Patrick's Day. Listening to a, 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 an, an Irishman, an Irish scholar, and uh, he is, he's an apologist for the Christian faith. And he, in his Irish brogue, refers to it as a corollary as opposed to a corollary. I just had to throw that in, being that it was that it was St. Patrick's Day. Give you a little bit more something to just be blessed with. And Romans 8, 6 says this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life 
and peace. What do we want, friends? Is there anybody you know, hey, really, I'm really looking forward to death. I want death. Give me the stuff that kills me. No, we want life and peace. Now, we've been given a wonderful example, an illustration of this in our, in our uh, news this week. I just, just looking on the Google feed, I haven't read much about this, but you know it's out there if you're paying attention to the news. Lori Laughlin, who was Aunt Becky in Full House, she and her husband have been hauled off into jail because she caught up in a scam, a, a network of scams, because they bribed people in order to get their daughters into good colleges. It was illegal what they did. Now, the headline that I read this morning said she's not going to be allowed back into the new one coming out, Fuller House. So think about this. Did something back then in order to get her, get her daughters into colleges. Now it's a national shame to her. What... What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? See, she's feeling that shame. The end of those things is death. It's just kind of destroyed what was taking shape for her. You see, friends, Paul is making it clear. The outcome of our sin as a believer isn't any better than the outcome of our sin as an unbeliever. It's always going to turn out the same. So now I'd like to just speak to you briefly. Just, I, I don't say this very often, but as your pastor, I want you to know my own heart. I wish everyone knew this and believed it. And Carol, that's why I'm speaking on this today. I wished everyone knew this and believed it. And what I'd like to suggest is that every believer needs to recalibrate their perspective on sin. Every believer needs to recalibrate their perspective on sin. At some point in our life, we have to come to grips with this reality. That sin always produces death. And there's no escaping that. It is a theological and practical absolute. None of this, hey, let's make some excuses for ourselves. We'll even base some of them upon the grace of God. No! Sin produces death. The Bible is replete with that from the very beginning, is it not? When God set that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And they ate, and they died. And we still live in the mess that they created. And we recreate that mess for ourselves every single time. We decide that, hey, I can sin and get away with it. I got a little grace here to back me up. Wrong. You can never use grace as an excuse to sin. You're missing the entire thought if you have And we will do that naturally because we have calibrated sin wrong, see? So I'm saying we need to recalibrate our perception of sin itself. The best recalibration I've ever heard, and I've shared it with you before, best statement on this I've heard is from Mark and Susan's brother, or nephew-in-law, Bryant, when he said to me, He realized, after going around in his life and just living his life in the natural man, he said, I realized one day that sin is a deception for my own demise. See, that was recalibrating in his thinking. 
that somehow you could get into the, get the best of this world. Nope, sorry, this world will kill you every time. And what I'd like to suggest is that we are properly recalibrating our perspective on sin when we truly desire to get it all out of our lives. And in the word all, if you saw my notes, it's in bold, it's underlined, it's italics, and I got quotation marks around it. All of it. There's none of it that we let stay to our own benefit. The end of those things is death. It works death in some fashion every time I embrace it. See, here for myself, here's what I'm afraid of, though. And I wouldn't be surprised some of you would say, I'm kind of like that, too. I calculate how much I can get away with how much sin I can leave residual in my life rather than how much I still have left from which God wants to deliver me. I can get by with this. It's not going to affect me on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's like checking antifreeze, right? We check our antifreeze now. We say, oh, it's good to to five below. Oh, that's good for now. We're coming into warmer weather. Now, it wouldn't have been good to five below a month ago. We just said, no, I I got to pour more antifreeze in. Right? I, got, I, got to, I got to get a little bit more protection there. And, and I think too often that's about how I view sin in my own life. Is I, I got enough, as long as I got enough protection to get me by for now, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need too much of this holiness in my life. Just enough to get by so I'm not, you know, everything's not falling apart. Now, let me tell you how this works just personally, if you'll allow this. Young man in seminary, hate to say this is when this takes place, but it's true. And you other young men, or you guys, you other men, you will understand it. Women, you maybe don't. There was a movie out. Some of you will recall it. Some of you saw it. I'm not being critical of you for that, because I wanted to see it. It's called Porky's. Maybe told you this story. Porky's. All I remember about Porky's, it had an advertisement that looked like a hand that was turning over to turn a shower, a shower nozzle. And what it gave you the impression is definitely there's going to be a shower scene in this movie. Now, guy in his late 20s, all right? That looks very appealing. And I struggled with not going to see Porky's. But here's what I did in that struggle. As I, and I never saw it, by the way. Never saw it. No, nothing more than that hand in that shower scene. Just so you're aware of that, okay? I thank God that, that I don't have it, that image in my mind now. But here's what I did. I remember wrestling with the question, just maybe I should go see that so I understand what kind of garbage is out there that we need to bring the gospel to and speak against. Do you see the kind of nonsense that the natural man was playing with there? Because everything inside of me wanted to go see Porky's because it looked like there'd be a shower scene in there. That's what I'm like. And we get that, don't we, guys? We know. I thank God that I did not do that, and I thank him that, you know what, I've come to understand that kind of stuff brings no blessing to my life. It just does not. It just does not. So I'm glad that he has delivered me from that, and he has recalibrated my thinking to help me understand. You move into that trash, it's never good. Great. Woo, we can all be real proud that we've got, come to that point, right? But here's my problem still. Although that's been recalibrated, it's kind of like I got the antifreeze down to about minus five. Because you know what? I still struggle, I still struggle with pride. 
anger, potential for bitterness, an unforgiving spirit. I can be unloving. I can be judgmental. I'm incredibly selfish. I'm a sluggard at times. I hate to admit the way I am. I can harbor a grudge. I can be stubborn. And you could add to the list. Carol might even say I'm not very kind. Is that I used her as a, as a personal illustration this morning, right? But you see, here's the point, friends. We can get some of the stuff out and say, I'm doing good. But God says, get it all out. And that's what I want to do in your life. I want to get it all out. Underlined, bold, italics, and quotation marks. All of it needs to go because none of it produces life. What fruit did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Absolute theological truth, absolute practical truth. Father, speak to our hearts about where we need to let you change us. And may we go deeper by yielding this sin to you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.